This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Rico, 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 Rico. Police eyes, every day. People dying, every day. Mama's crying, every day. Father's trying, every day. Trying to get my head straight. It's the city of Chirac, man, get your bed made. See death around the corner. Boy, I dodge him like an old. I don't talk if I don't know. Plot is on me. Boy, I lost homies. Some died, some crossed on me. I love the thugs that's down for me. The ones that send shots on me. Yeah, and if the bills late, they rob me just to get the bills paid. Working for a payout. Every day looking for a way out. Get released from jail and try to stay out. Pray to God, see how I play out. But maybe God trying to test me. This life that I'm living so stressful. In one second, I'ma let loose and everybody in here gon' catch it. Cause right now I can't take it. Lord, when I'm gon' make it. Cause it's Chirac in my city lost. I can't fall victim to Satan. Please pray for my Double city. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. City. Too much hate in my city. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR. Too much Snapchat in my city. 90.3 FM. The voice of Harlem. That's what I was waiting for. Um, so we just played Chirac. Shout out to Stanley. In my city. Yes, that was um, from the movie Chirac. No clean water in my city. Yes, Spike Lee's new joint. Thank you for the uh, made-up ad-lib, Stanley. So as I mentioned before the break, we are continuing our two-part series talking about Chicago, specifically the south side of Chicago where there is rampant gang violence, criminal activity, gun violence. The homicide rate is just through the roof. There's actually more homicides in uh, Chicago than in Iraq when it came to, um, you know, American forces going overseas to fight. So we had more people, more Americans dying in Chicago, hence the name Chirac. So this is a really big, crucial issue, and it's something that's been going on for years, um, um, years, years. It's, this is built up, but it seems like just in the last few years, especially um, 2014 and now 2015, where we have this movie, a lot of focus has been on Chicago. And I always wondered, right, like, it's always been here. Like, why is Chicago just now coming out of the sh- shadows? Like, this has been here, like, this for a while. So we have a... Um, a great guest on the line who is in Chicago, who fights on the ground in Chicago, and I'll introduce in just a few more moments. I wanted to start off talking about Chirac the movie. As I mentioned, we did get a chance. Well, Stanley and I had a chance to see the movie. Um, we won't have any spoilers. At least I'll try not to. Alyssa, just give me a glare if I say something that's like about to spoil the end People of the movie. People get shot. All right, basically. I, mean, basically. I, I know the plot of the movie. I've seen the right. trailer. Right. So the plot of the movie is where you have uh, Chicago women withholding sex from men until the gang and gun violence stops. And it's actually a um, new version of an ancient Greek play that came out around 400 B.C. So that is really, really ancient. It's a... um. Excuse me. And so basically what the women are doing, um, they're, they're telling the men, they're telling their boyfriends, we will not have sex with you. And then they just have like this they just go in like this big I like parade and you know it's it's they get a lot of attention about you know this movement and this and this this way that they're um portraying their activism however a lot of people in Chicago and especially like on black twitter just went off as soon as the trailer came out um specifically Chance the rapper mm-hmm. who is from Chicago he said you know what this, he's, he called the movie exploitive and problematic. He said we should not be making a mockery or any type of comedy with this 
issue. No one should be laughing. And the movie is a comedy. We laugh. We were in the theater laughing at a number of points. And the movie is very far-fetched and absurd, in my opinion. So that's why it gets those laughs. And, you know, it, it's not like a Fruitvale station. I'll tell you that. It's not like... Um, uh, what's the slave movie that came out? Not Django. Twelve, years, 12 a years a Slave. Thank you. It's not one of those where it's like an accurate portrayal necessarily. So like you, you get the laughs and you get you know. Well, that was my take, Stanley. What were you thinking while you were watching the movie? Well, I think everybody wants to see movies of black people getting beat up and crying over dead mm. bodies and going to funerals and praying and singing gospel songs. And Chirac was nothing like that. And I think anyone who thinks that Chirac is a poor movie was ready to be offended or like was ready to like be mad and watch black people get shot. And what it really was, was it was a satire. And mm. a lot of times, that's how you talked about or portray, like discussed important issues. We watch satire every week on Saturday Night Live where they use comedy to point out the ridiculousness of what's going on in the real world. And Chirac did that. But if you were watching, you also noticed they mentioned that n- that neighborhood doesn't have a trauma center. They also mentioned the unemployment rate. Right. They also pointed out the militarization of the police. They also pointed out that like there were so many abandoned buildings that they pointed out how the how the community had been redlined. They like they lampoon Rahm Emanuel. But people were so ready to be, to be mad and like upset about like you know the way the movie was portrayed that they didn't pay attention to these things. But this is what happens. Shakespeare was known for using satire to talk about issues. So what Spike Lee did with a Shakespearean play, I think it was originally, was use satire to talk about a serious issue. And they're saying that he's pan- like he's like disgracing it or, or whatever it is. But like people are talking about Chirac because of this movie. You know, I didn't see the movie, so I can't speak on the movie directly. I didn't go with Selena and Stanley the other night. Um, but, you know, uh, here's my thing. Without having seen the movie, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on this and maybe in the guest as well, is that, you know, people talk about black-on-black cr- black black crime. Mm-hmm. And it to, it's a myth as far as I'm concerned, as far as the data is concerned. Yeah. Um, I mean, the rate of black-on-black murder is about 92%. Mm-hmm. The, weight, the rate of white-on-white murder is about... 89 to 90 percent so we're literally talking about a three percent difference Mm -hmm. when we're talking about quote unquote black on black crime and actually i was just looking at some data according to fbi homicide data african americans commit more homicides than other racial groups however um the percentage when you compare it to the national population of Mm -hmm. black people living in the country which is over 40 million people you find that the vast majority of black people do not commit any crimes so my concern is and maybe you'll you can speak about this is that this movie in some ways by I'm not saying we should ignore the problem but does you think it perpetuates the myth no no I think what it does is puts, it puts a spotlight on some real problems that we have people are killing each other in Chicago and in Philadelphia like they mentioned and in Milwaukee and in New, and York, in New York and in Brooklyn yeah people are killing each other and there's a serious problem but why is that why like why are they killing each other? It's not as simple as just being in a gang. And that's what the movie touches on if like you're not so busy being outraged. Right. No, great points, Alyssa Stanley. And I think that that segues into what we are going to talk about again today, which is the larger issues. And I think like, you know, as Stanley said, it delivers the message and it has us talking about Chicago. But there are problematic parts of that movie that we will address a little later on, uh, specifically the women's role. I mean, there's so many women on the ground in Chicago who are, you know, using their minds and strategy and, you know, their degrees and have dedicated their lives to stopping violence rather than just saying, well, you can't have sex with me. It kind of almost is a little dismissive, I think. And I know that a lot of feminists felt that way. But, but like, it isn't like this made up. This actually happened somewhere right, else. Right, right, right. But- it's a satire. So what's, I don't understand, like, why does everything have to be, like, a Shaka Zulu movie? <laughs> I mean, I get it. It is a different type of movie, but, you know, it, it was... 
for so much sadness to be going on in Chicago, it did not convey that as much. It's like a lot of people were dancing around and like we were all like, oh, I want to see them dance. Like I don't know. It's just I think that it, it depends on it, de- it depends on it depends on your perspective. I don't yeah. know. What bothers me the most is that I find that it's sort of it, it, you know obviously you answered my question about the perpetuation of the myth, but I find that it it sort of in some ways ignores the fact that we have insti- the institutionalized racism racism aspect of just crime and policing in general and the socioeconomic factors like rather than cultural identities it like about that. you know it but right. did, does it focus i mean it does it talks about that but is the focus on that this is a structural problem or that this is like yeah. a black problem it's a structural problem right it is all right guys so on that note i do want to invite tio hardeman into the conversation we had him on last week again he is the executive director for violent interrupters he has dedicated his life and career to community organizing for peace and social change um and he's also he joined the award-winning um, public health model it's called ceasefire he's also known as mr ceasefire and he is calling in all the way from chicago aka Chirac. uh good morning to thank you for joining us again yeah i'm glad to be on the show once again for sure Thank you, thank you. We're glad to have you back. We started the discussion just talking about Chirac, uh, the movie. I know that you saw the movie too. And since you are someone who's on the ground and on the ground in Chicago, and you've dedicated your life to, you know, coming, finding out what's behind the gang violence and the gun violence in Chicago and what the solutions are. Uh, what would you say about the film? Did it do a good job in portraying or you know giving an accurate portrayal of what's going on and how to fight these problems? Yeah, first of all, in the words of Samuel L. Jackson, welcome to Chirac, okay? <laughs> this is what's happening. <clears throat> the movie was a, a good movie as it relates to the fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about that, Chicago definitely needed, sometimes you have to laugh to stop from from crying, okay? Chicago's been played with a lot of violence, you know, for decades, so there's nothing new here. But the movie was okay, because, you know, me being a man, I love women, and the thing is, if my woman or wife was to tell me that, look here, she's going to boycott me for she's not. we're not going to have no type of sexual encounters, no type of relationship, that might change some people. But that's the movie, okay? I just want to make that clear. Now, on the streets of Chicago, it may not play out that way. However, some of the characters in the movie, Nick Cannon playing Chirac and uh, Wesley Snipes, it was good to see Spike Lee actually uh, hire a lot of African-American actors and, you know, some Caucasian actors. Even the guy John Cusack that played Mike Corrigan, in, Corrigan whatever they call him, in the movie, that was an accurate uh, portrayal of Father Flager, a guy that's out there. He happens to be a Caucasian priest or father, you know, on the south side of Chicago, and he stands up against the black-on-black violence all the time. Most of the major funerals of the young people, uh, Father Flager is a guy that's over sees those uh, funerals so yeah it played a, it, the movie was okay a little bit of, you know like a little bit of laughter is good is good for everybody but now on the flip side laughter when it comes down to the violence uh you can't go too far with the laughter because there's nothing really funny about people being killed in chicago uh over the last three weeks we had um, a nine-year-old uh, executed tyshawn lee in the alley because the guys were mad at his father and they couldn't catch the father so they killed the son so you cannot laugh about that kind of stuff but i applaud spike lee i'm not knocking the concept i think it was in very important because what happens i heard you all talking earlier chance the rapper stated that the movie was uh degrading women or whatever the case exploiting people but Hollywood has been exploiting the black community for years. And Hollywood is Hollywood. I want to make that clear. But uh, Chance the Rapper is the son of Mr. Bennett. He's the deputy mayor under Rahm Emanuel in Chicago. So uh, uh, the mayor wasn't in favor of the movie at all. 
So you have problems there. So that might be a little bit coming from the mayor's office, you know, through uh, Chance the Rapper, okay? Thank you so much for that. Again, guys, if you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Tio Hardiman. He is the executive director for Violent Interrupters. He, when we're talking about Chirac, the movie, and also the real issues plaguing Chicago, Southside, which has been nicknamed Chirac for a long time. And, you know, Tio, you made so many good points when it came to the movie because it was very controversial and very provocative, and a lot of people didn't take too well to it, uh, specifically the way that Spike Lee chose to portray these issues. Um, One thing that I wanted to talk about was how this violence has been building up for years in Chicago, and it sort of somehow got lost in the shadows. Why do you think uh, people are just now starting to pay attention to what's going on in the South Side, and how how do we even get to this point? Well, the same way you see all the police brutality and excessive force cases going on across America, people are paying attention now because a lot of the killings are being, like, uh, pretty much social media is, is pushing, you know, pretty good. And you got this all over the place now. That's why they're paying attention to it. And there's, there appears to be no, no end in sight to the violence. So a lot of people are just trying to wonder what's going on. Why, uh, see, put it like this. In Chicago, 85% of the homicides that occur in Chicago occur in the African-American community, more so black and black, you know, killings. And we have to focus on trying to resolve the issue with our people because the violence is all over the place. It's not always gang-related. Some of these killings are as simple as a guy that looked at you the wrong way, or I don't like the way this guy looks. He's not from over here. We had a young man that was killed that was visiting his family from out of town, <clears throat> and he asked a few guys a few questions on, on the block. How do you get to this address? And they shot and killed him because he wasn't even from the area. So we have more of a self-hatred problem with some of our people, not all of our people. I want to make that clear. But we have a self-hatred issue that leads to killings in Chicago. And, I, and that people need to understand that because these young guys are pretty much lost out there. They're not fighting to take over blocks. They're not fighting to control <clears throat> the drug trade altogether. They're fighting because it's, it's like it's been passed down from generation to generation. It's learned behavior. Wow. Okay? No, thank you so much. Again, guys, we have in line with us T.O. Hardiman. If you have a question or a comment about Chirac, the movie, or Chicago, the number is 212-650-6903. And, you know, you just made some great points about self-hatred. I mean, if, is that at the root of what's going on with this gang violence and gun violence? And I know Stanley wants to jump in. It's almost like a war zone, and when you say, like, you know, it's not just a gang violence, and it's just somebody looked at somebody the wrong way, and it brought me back to growing up in East New York and Brownsville, where if you're walking down the street and you made eye contact with somebody for too long, you would have to fight. Or some t- I remember one time I was walking with a friend, and we are having a conversation, and, like, we made eye contact with somebody, and he put out his gun on us. Right. Because, like, he, and it's, it's literally a war, and, like, it's kill or be killed, and everyone's nervous, so you, you can get shot at any minute. T.O., can you speak to that? Oh, yeah, that's why I'm glad the brother brought that up. Let me just go back. When I was, like, 16, 17, I grew up in the Hearing Hunter Projects on the west side of Chicago. And I would actually look in the mirror and try to premeditate how I would step down on the front porch of the projects because it was a very violent community. So I would have to walk a certain way. I'd have to look a certain way. I'd just, you know, kind of showcase myself that I wasn't no, you know, coward type of guy that I would fight. And so, you know, a lot of young guys today, their mindset is kill or be killed. I'd rather get caught with a gun than get caught without a gun because the gun is the only thing that's going to neutralize and get people off of me. And then you got the predator type of guys that will just shoot because the fact is it's a cold of the streets. So you're right, my brother. That's what happens when people look at you. I knew a young guy that lost his life, a sincere story. Uh, there, uh, 
lady was graduating from high school, and uh, some people were having a water balloon fight, and the water got on her dress. Somebody, they thought somebody hit her with a water balloon, and they killed the guy. They thought they hit her with the water balloon, but they found out later that the air conditioner was leaking, and the, air, the water got on her dress from the air conditioner she was standing in front of. Okay, so that goes to show you that the killings are all over the place. But the only solution, and I want to make this clear, is unity within the African-American community. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but if African-American people do not unify, we're going to continue to have a lot of killings because mm. the young people are looking for some type of leadership, and they're not getting it because they're raising themselves in a lot of these situations. Right. Thank you again for that, T.O. We have on the line with us Patricia Smith. She's calling in from the south side of Chicago, and she wants to let her voice be heard. Hi, Patricia. Yes. I mean, Oh, good afternoon. Let's get something tr- straight. I'm right now presently living in Harlem. I left Chicago in 86, but I go back every year because I couldn't stand the violence. Let's put that straight. And the violence has been there since Al Capone days, understand? And the spirit that permeates the south side of what Al Capone left has never left us, you understand? The killings among each other and the gangster life. And I want to say something. In 1967, my brothers, my little brothers, who's 11 and 12 years old, they were drafted into the Blackstone Rangers. They had no choice or be killed. I wanted something done now. Do you understand? And if you say something, you get your door kicked down. Mm. Now, thankfully... My brothers and we being from 1929, we were well respected on the south side of Chicago. I lived it. I was a monster. I'm afraid to see Chirac because they may have it all wrong. Mm. You understand? Yes. Because yes. I lived it. Thank right. you so they don't much. Understand. Right. Now, it only got worse when um, Katrina Hell left, came through, and they brought all these strange. Uh, Lower spirits until the south side. That got that got really scary. Thank you so much, Patricia, for sharing your story. I mean, um, it, it's it's real, and I understand that sentiment for someone who's who's watched the gang violence firsthandedly, and you grew up, and you you know you know what it's like to hear the gunshots. Maybe you lost somebody in you know that war zone that's going on on the south side. Uh, seeing a movie like that could be hard, and I definitely respect that. And you know it, it is real like that. And you know, Tio, I just wanted to get your response because um, what that woman was saying it was real, and a lot of people are, are are looking for you know solutions, and they don't necessarily feel like. You know, maybe this movie is accurately portraying the solutions in the right way. And, and that is the discussion we have to have. I th- oh, you know what? We're going to go to a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation about Chirac right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz on the PC Ones and Twos and Alyssa Fuchs. She is on my left. We have on the line with us Tio Hardman. He is the executive director for Violent Interrupters, and he is also a dedicated activist on the streets of Chicago. Right before we went on break, we had a Harlem resident who used to live on the south side call in, and she said that she left because 
because of the violence. Tio, my question is, you know, you have a lot of people, uh, you know, black people, people of color leaving Chicago. What, you know, what is your res- what is your response to that? I mean, that woman, she gave a, you know, a very painful and real testimony about what it's like. Um, and I feel like she's just and like a lot of us, we're looking for solutions. But number one, you know, I appreciate the young lady's comment because she told the truth. There was a time when you lived on the south side. Or the, see, on the west side, you have mainly vice lords. South, the east side, you had the Blackstones. Like the, the greater south side, you had the gangster disciples and the black disciples. I'm talking about back when she was talking about. And there was a time when you were sitting on your porch as a young man, the guys would force you to join the gangs. But that wasn't the case for everybody. Some people did good that came from the community, but a lot of people got caught up. Back then, uh, the gangs were building empires, you know, back in that day. Now, fast track to 2015, you have cliques. You have a lot of guys that are out here just trying to control, like, say, one block or two or three blocks. Some of them are just beefing, you know, like with this, uh, you know, the Chief Keith stuff, the little right. Dirk stuff that's going on. And that's a little bit of the violence. Not a, that's not major, but the reality is that people are leaving Chicago because it is too violent in some areas. And no one wants their 19-year-old. We had a 19-year-old that was killed last night in Chicago, driving his car on the west side of Chicago, and he was shot and killed, tried to drive himself to the hospital, but he died, you know, en route. So I understand the young lady, but Chicago is not as bad for people like myself and people that have been living here all our lives because we understand the mindset of these young people. And one thing I have to say, I appreciate this, the young guys have a lot of respect for me. I'm talking about guys 14 years old all the way to, like, you know, whatever, 35, you know, I can go out, I can call them guys, they listen to me and do whatever I ask them to do. So we have to stay connected to the youth. That's, that's one way we can help stop some of the violence. And let me say this quickly. My staff so far this year, it's not a big number, but we've mediated 40 conflicts that could have turned deadly where we saved a life on the front end. I'm talking about where people wanted to kill one another, and we stepped in and stopped it. Wow. Um, You know, that is so admirable, and I think we definitely need more of that. Um, I wanted to just go back to the Chirac movie because one of the parts that I felt resonated with me most was when a certain character gave this monologue about the NRA and the role that the NRA and um, our gun culture in America is having in fueling gun violence in Chicago. And I know Alyssa wanted to speak on that and then ask the question. Yeah, no, I did. And we actually spoke at length about guns in the last show. And we've had multiple shows where we've spoken about guns generally in America. But um, one of those One of the points that has come up in that conversation, at least with respect to New York, is this idea of the iron pipeline, is that there are lax gun laws in southern states that are connected to New York through I-95, which is the route that is used to traffic the most amount of illegal guns that are sold legally in other states and then trafficked up to New York and end up uh, in the hands of you know, different people that shouldn't have them here in New York City. And I was wondering what the role of uh, others, uh, obviously, Illinois is not not connected to I-95, but there are other states that surround Illinois that have lax gun laws, like, for example, Indiana. So I'm curious to know what the role uh, lax gun laws in other states and just the lack of federal regulations in certain areas lead to guns getting on the streets on the south side of Chicago. Good, good, good uh, question. Let me say this to you. Speaking on behalf of T.O. Hardman, <clears throat> I'd like to say that the gun laws are not the problem. A lot of people do not want to hear this. There's no data to back up the fact that legal gun owners are part of the problem, especially in cities like Chicago. The problem we have is too many illegal guns being uh, placed in the hands of these young guys out here. There are stories, one story after another, about freight trains that are mysteriously uh, 
stopping in the African-American community where they have semi-automatic weapons on the freight trains. And you can look this information up and you can find, it, find this information out to be uh, true. And the guys get the guns off the freight trains. They sell them in the community. We have a lot of guys that travel from state to state. They call them uh, straw purchasers. They go buy guns from these gun shows, and they bring the guns and they arm these young men in the community. So that's a problem there, the illegal guns. See, the NRA and the, and the lax gun laws do not become a major problem until you have a massacre somewhere like, you know, what you just had in California, somewhere like in other, like Colorado. And I love everybody. I don't want to see nobody lose their life. But the gun laws are not really the problem. I understand the good work that was done in New York. If you get caught with a gun, it's a mandatory minimum sentence, and that's fine. I've had the, uh, the pleasure to travel to the U.K. where they don't have guns. They have knife crimes, but their homicide rate is one of the lowest homicide rates in the world. So we have to learn how to change the mindset of young men and women so they won't feel it's okay to kill one another just because they get into a petty conflict because it's not necessarily the gun, it's the thinking. But don't get me wrong. If they didn't have the gun, because the gun is a weapon of convenience, and I understand that people are mad about gun laws, but that's a tough question there, okay? That's my response to you. But, you know, actually, I have a follow-up to that. You mentioned something about New York, right? Like, oh, New York has the strict gun laws. Um, Do you think, actually, that actually contributes to more of the problem? I'm going to play this out for a second. You live in a low-income community. Let's say you're in New York. You get caught with a gun that you're carrying to protect yourself. Now you're facing a charge. You plead guilty to something. You go to jail. You get out of jail. You now have—you can't get a job. I mean, I know that's something we're trying to work on in New York. But now you can't get a job uh, because you have a conviction on your record, and so that leads you back out onto the street because you have to find a way to feed yourself and leads you back into the cycle of violence. Do we actually think that that, the stricter gun laws in some ways uh, are working against trying to solve some of these issues? Well, that's why I just mentioned I don't think it's really the gun laws what's going on. Once a person has a a, a conviction on his record, it's hard to bounce back. But a lot of people have bounced back from being convicted of crimes. I want to make that clear as well. This is the thing. New York City, they actually had an increase in homicides, I think, around six, seven months ago in New York, uh, even though they had uh, strict gun laws. So the gun, see, let's go back to Chicago for a minute. Young guys on the street of Chicago are not thinking about a strict gun law when they're about to kill somebody. Right. They're not thinking about that at all. A lot of people are sitting in the penitentiary right now wishing they could... Uh, turn back the hands of time because 80% of these guys that kill another person, they probably say in their head, put it like this, let me just make, say this. I've been around some guys that, are con- that were convicted of murder, gun violence, and they said if they could not get access to the gun, they probably would not have committed to murder. So you've got to look at it both ways. Okay, you have to look at it from uh, that lens as well. But gun laws are not going to change the condition and the in the mindset of people that want to commit violence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right, Tio. And that's what I want to talk about. Some of these underlying mm-hmm. factors, because like you said, it's a mentality. It's almost a sickness and an illness that's going on from generation to generation in so many low-income communities where young people, especially young boys, are being taught this. Like I've been at children's birthday parties where they taught they were teaching the younger members the gang signs and you know it's, it's almost like a survival tactic in one way because you need to know you know the streets you need to know what's going on and how to recognize what's going on um, and how to how to blend in almost but the thing is it is generational generation and I want to talk about you know, what is underlying this I mean is it is it jobs lack of um, affordable housing is it poverty is it lack of education or is it just a combination of all of these factors yeah it's a combination of everything. Believe it or not, I was kind of up late last night, and I was watching Bounce TV. They showed the movie Super. 
from the ancient past, and they had a record in there called I'm Your Pusher Man, and I just had to analyze the movie again, even though it's been years, you know, since I watched that movie, but this guy, they were pushing, I'm your pusher man, I'm your mother, I'm your father, I'm that brother in the alley, you want some coke, you know, some weed, see, all these type of, type of mindsets and characters out here, and, and most young guys feel just like the rap song that came out of Chirac, I forget who the artist was. You guys played it before we uh, got on, before we got uh, started the interview here, and they were talking about, "I want to make it out the hood," and you know, I got to get out the hood. Everybody wants to get out the hood, and how they get out the hood, it doesn't matter as long as they get out the hood. So if I got to put you down and shoot you, if I got to sell some dope or some marijuana for a little while to get out the hood, that's the mindset. Mm-hmm. And once you commit to the dope game, gunplay is 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 right around the corner. That's just a way of life out there. So uh, the rap game, for example, you got Chief Keep, Lil Durk, and some of the Chicago rappers rapping now some gangster rap. But think about it. You never really had no gangster raps out of Chicago. And like the young lady that called in, she said that Al Capone, the legacy of Al Capone remains in Chicago. Chicago was one of the first gangster cities in the whole United States. I know people talk about L.A., but most of the major gangs started here in Chicago. And it's been passed down from one generation to the other. That's your issue. That's the underlying issue. But, yeah, poverty plays a role. The lack of good education plays a role. The lack of resources and all that plays a role. So when people bring the big dope package in the hood, yeah, a lot of guys are going to take, take advantage of it because that's the way to make some easy money so they think. Um, we have on the line with us Miss Deborah, who wants to let her voice be heard again. We're talking to Tia Hardiman, um, and we're talking about Chirac, the movie, and also the, the gun violence going on in Chicago. Miss Deborah? Yeah. Hi. Um, hi, everybody. Hi, Mr. Hardiman. I just right. wanted to ask you, do you think that people, excuse me, I have my radio, I have to turn it down. Um, these guys or women who who kill these people, I know that they get the guns, the guns are illegal. But, like, who are these people? You know, like, have you all ever really, like, done homework to find out who these people are? You know, like, let's say, for instance, you had cars, right? And all of a sudden, everybody's car started to disappear. You'd go and look for those people to find out who stole your car. Are they being paid to literally wipe their own people out? Because it just doesn't seem, you know, I mean, I, I get that some people, you know, don't have it wrapped too tight. But then it's, it just keeps going on and on and on and on. And I mean, like, are we really that vicious? Tio, can you answer that? Here out. Uh, there has been some statements out in, out in the public where people feel they're being paid to kill one another. But you had to look at it like this. When people start working with, see, the cartel, those are the people bringing the drugs in the community as far as the high volume of drugs. The brother that meets with the cartel to bring the drugs into the black community, those guys are sellouts in the community. So you can't say they're being paid because they're pushing dope, they're pushing death, and they're pushing guns. So I believe so in some cases, but it's a whole lot of factors that go into the violence. you got young men that want to make a name for themselves. There was a book written by a professor out of uh, uh, Ohio State University. Her name is Deanna Wilkerson. Um, I forget the name of the book right now. And I'm sorry about that, but she she wrote a book. You can look her up. She interviewed around 300 young men that were convicted of gun violence, and a lot of them, the great percentage of the young men, said they were just trying to make a name for themselves. 
that's the data that's out there on that, okay? Right, and I actually, I, I wanted to add to that. I mean, on top of making a name for themselves, I, I know, Selena, you mentioned poverty. We mentioned it as one of the factors. And in some cases, it's a, it's literally a struggle to survive. I mean, obviously on the streets, but also a struggle to survive, to feed yourself, to put it clothes on your back and a roof over your head. So, so I feel like in some situations, people end up in this cycle, one, having to do with the culture, but also, two, having to do with because they, they have no other options. So they see this. Like you said, they'll do whatever it takes to try and get out of this situation. But actually, I want to ask you a follow-up question to something you just mentioned. You talked a lot about uh, the role that drugs play. Um, a lot of people have said that the U.S.'s war on drugs has been a huge failure, um, that it's ineffective, that it has not stopped the flow of drugs, and it has actually led to more violence. So I'm curious to know what you perceive um, of the role, or what role do you think that the U.S.'s quote-unquote war on drugs or failed war on drugs is playing in Chicago with the gang violence? And is there something that, you know, if, if, for example, the government was to stop this, quote unquote, war on drugs, do you think that would actually make things worse in Chicago or would that help in some ways to alleviate the situation? Yeah, the failed war on drugs is, is a major problem here across the United States because the war on drugs really turned out, and which led to the uh, prison industrial complex. A lot of people were just, uh, you know, shipped to these penitentiaries because there was no real strategy or a plan to really stop the drugs from crossing the border. See, if all the focus went on addressing the drugs once they came into America. You know, you all out of New York, you had the guy down there, you know, Frank Lucas, you had the guy, Nicky Barnes, you know, people, the legendary drug dealers. This, the whole thing is a setup. The whole drug trade is a setup in the beginning. And let me explain. You got people that were involved in the CIA. This is all quoted information that I'm using. There was a movie filmed on the Black Panther Party where some members of the CIA were quoted in the movie stating that, get them black folks, the, the drugs, and they'll start killing each other in record numbers. All right, that's in that movie, and it's in print out there. So the reality is this here. It's a setup. The United States government, they have to come, our people, the leaders have to come out of denial and admit the fact that the drugs are pushing the black community for a diabolical purpose. That doesn't mean that people had to take the drugs, but that's what happened. So if you don't deal with the truth about the drug game, you're not going to never, you know, solve that issue. Drug addiction, which, drug addiction which, which we all know is a major problem across America, not just the black community, the white community, and the Hispanic community, and some, of the, some people in the Asian community, but the drug war is a big problem, okay? It is. Um, Tio, unfortunately, we're going to have to bring this conversation to a close. Yeah. But before we do, um, can you just tell us, so what are some of the solutions? What can we all do? You know, us here in New York City, people who are listening in Chicago, what, what are some of those measures that we can take? Okay, first and foremost, Professor Daniel Wilkinson's book, the, the name of the book is Guns, Violence, and Identity Among African-American and Latino Youth. Uh, as far as solutions, we have to unify block by block and find out what them young brothers really would like to do with their lives and see if we can get them to get out of the drug trade and get out of the mindset that they have to kill one another. That's going to take absolute unity of African-American people. And I'm not saying unifying to take over the system. I'm saying unifying to bring peace in our community. That's the only solution, to be honest with you. And now, and, and I mentioned this the last time you were here, where we have a really large wave, a really large movement of, of young black activists um, being uh, joining the, the ranks of the Black Lives Matter movement. Do you think that this is sort of rectifying or addressing these issues, or are you talking about something else when you say unifying as a community? 
the Black Lives Matter movement can definitely is, is part of the solution because the only thing missing the Black Lives Matter movement they need to reconnect or connect with the young brothers involved in the street life. You know, like the gang members. You know, I don't like calling the brothers gang members. They they need to connect with the young brothers on the on the streets. In other words, and once they do that, that's a solution right there. Because right now they're just standing up against police brutality and excessive force, but they have to connect all across the board. And then you have all hands on deck, and you'll definitely have a solution right there. Again, T.O., please let our listeners know how they can follow you online, get in contact with you through your website. Yeah. Uh, T.O.Hardiman.com. That's T.I.O. Hardiman, H-A-R-D-I-M-A-N. All my information is on my website. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter. And if you need to talk to me, it's urgent. Uh, area code 773-391-9072. And I want to thank you all for having me on your show this morning. Thank you so much, T.O. We always appreciate when you call in. We'll definitely be in touch. Um, you know, I just wanted to give, I know Stanley, some um, a few seconds of last words in closing. Stanley saw the movie. Stanley's lived this movie, and he did manage to make it out. Any, you know, few last words, Stanley? So Selena thinks that because I grew up in East New York and Brownsville and was in a gang and did some of this crazy stuff that I might know what is going on in Chicago. And I guess I do have some context behind it. So one of the biggest conflicts I've been having in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement is that sometimes I feel like I can't talk about what's happening in our communities because we want to make sure we're addressing police violence. We want to make sure we're addressing the criminal justice system. But a lot of these communities are war zones, and I cannot deny that. I cannot deny the fact that once I I got accepted to college, I walked out of Brownsville, Brooklyn, and I never looked back. I was so desperate to get out of there. And we absolutely had to do something about that because it shouldn't be a case of someone like me who I'm not particularly smart or athletic or talented, but I just got lucky and I had caught a couple of breaks and I was able to get out. And maybe someone with so much more potential than than I had was not. And a perfect example of that is a friend that I had who he started off going to school with me, but... His father was a blood, his mother was a blood, his brothers was all of his brothers were bloods, and everyone in his family was in a gang. There was no way he can get away from it. So when it was time to go put in work, he had to go put in work. And when he went to go put in that work that one last time, he got bodied. Or as in English from he he was killed. And that's not because he wanted to live that life. That's not necessarily because his family was just so in love with gang gang life and murder and drugs. It's because if they felt like there was no other way out. Why is that? And why are we not giving them any other ways out? We have to give them other ways out. Yeah, absolutely right, Stanley. And I think that a lot of this draws in a lack of hope. And I, I commence... T.O. and all the other activists on the ground who were doing things. And I think that we can all take this from, you know, a sort of perspective. Like, I know, like, with me, with my church, we talk about going outside in the streets and talking to people who are addicted to crack, talking to people who are, you know, selling themselves for money, et cetera, et cetera. We can't just live in this, like, protective wall. A lot of us have a lot of privileges and are blessed not to directly live in those war zones or to or to make it out. But it's us. It's up to us, the ones that know better, to try to help the others to do better like Stanley's a perfect example of how you know when you make it out don't leave don't think don't just you know think about yourself and you know just making more money I think that we need to have a a more sympathetic approach to it and be able to go back to these communities speak to the children and make sure we reach them before the gangs do or before a gunshot does before a bullet does I mean it's hard but you know what we're going to continue to um, address this issue and make sure that we take some action on this issue and that's what's needed and that's what's missing right now Um, on that note we do have to take a quick break but when we come back we'll be talking about some of our favorite stories in the news roundup you used to call me on my cell phone Late night when you need 